Heavenly Father, we praise you today for your watch and care over us and for your provision. We pray now that you would make our hearts joyful as we give back to you our tithes and our offerings. And Lord, we ask that you would take these and use them according to your will for your glory, that your name may be known among the nations. Lord, we we long for the day for people from all lands and tribes and tongues to know the name of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you're not already there, this is the same passage that Zach read earlier. We're going to pick up in verse 39. Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. Luke 1, 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that you would take it now and work it like you do the soil, work it deep into our hearts to teach, instruct, exhort, correct, admonish, and to build us up in the faith. Lord, we need your Spirit's work now as we hear your word. Would you do that for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This year for our Advent season, we're going to be looking at the songs For the Savior, an Advent series through Luke's Gospel and through the songs that are here that are unique to Luke's Gospel. You've probably heard a series similar. This is not anything new. That's the big challenge for all pastors at Advent and Easter every year. There isn't anything new that can, uh, new new arrangement or anything. We we often look at what's been done in the past. But uh, if you haven't heard a series on these five songs, maybe you've heard there's four songs that are more well-known. The fifth one is the one that we're looking at today. Um, we'll talk more about why it's not well-known in a minute. But if you haven't heard any of them, you've certainly heard of the most well-known, the Magnificat, or the Song of Mary. We'll be looking at that next week. The reason I landed on these songs was I noticed in our own home, as my girls were eager to start Christmas music early this year, as they are every year, and I always kind of protest and give them a hard time, no, nah, it's too early, it's too early. But this is 2020, and so my response this year was, let it play. <laughs> I mean, we needed it, right? I mean, music has a way of stirring in our hearts and our minds things that Maybe normal, just straight out narration doesn't. So songs, I think, can really help us and really move us. And so my prayer is that these songs will help us see the glory of our coming King in this Advent season. Now, I mentioned that some attribute only four songs to Luke's gospel, and the fifth being this one. It doesn't have the same song structure, the same clear song structure the others do. If you look, depending on what translation you have, you may see as we go through, the other songs are going to be indented, written almost like a psalm. Uh, They have a certain uh, structure that, that imitates more a hymn or a song. But in this one, we do see the structure of a hymn, very short as it were. But I think more importantly, we see this expression of Elizabeth, this loud joy with which she expresses 
and these blessed statements followed by this almost bar in between uh, the rhetorical question that she asks that serves as a bridge in her song. And so there is hymn structure here. And this is the first of the five, and we're following them through in chronological order. And so today we will be looking at the song of Elizabeth. And yet within Elizabeth's song, we see another song, a song that is sung without a voice. In verses 41 and 44, we see that the infant, John the Baptist, leaped for joy at the sound of Mary's voice. Each of the four songs, the more well-known songs, all have a Latin title like the Magnificat, and we'll look at the titles of each as we go through them. This one didn't, so I went and looked in the Latin Vulgate, and the word here for leap for joy is exult of it. That's where we got the title. But and you hear in that Latin word, exult, right? That's not a word we use every day, but as Christians, it's a word that we're at least familiar with, particularly from the Psalms. It's a word of praise, a word of joy. And normally when we think of the idea of praise, we think of a verbal expression. When we read praise the Lord, we typically think of something verbal, either singing or stating something of praise. And yet here we see the unborn John without a voice, praise and exult in God, particularly in verse 44, that he leaped in her womb because of the joy he had. And so today we will consider Elizabeth's song as well as John's song within her womb. This is a song of exulting joy in the news of the Savior to be born, that Emmanuel had come. And you know I'm going to keep referring back to Genesis because we just finished it, uh, but we saw it there, didn't we, from the very beginning. beginning. Genesis 3.15, a promise of the one, the seed of the woman to come and crush the head of the serpent. And at the very end, the last words on Joseph's lips were, surely God will visit you. Here it is. God has come to visit. Emmanuel is here. Another name for this episode between Mary and Elizabeth, this visit that they had is the visitation. You may have heard it referred to as that. And the significance of that term visitation is that this wasn't just a normal visit. This was something special. It was special in a number of ways. It was special in the fact that the two cousins had not seen each other in some time. We know this because Elizabeth had hidden her pregnancy for at least five months, the text told us as we read this morning. But there was also an age gap. They lived far away. They were in different generations. Um, This this was just not an occasion for them to come together and catch up on all the latest happenings or exchange pleasantries. Something motivated Mary. She left with haste, verse 39 says. She went with a, in a hurry uh, or with a hurriedness to see Elizabeth. Well, in Luke's account, and the reason that we read the text proceeding to this is we see what happened just before Mary left in a hurry. The angel came, right? Gabriel came to her. And so this was the motivation. Gabriel comes to Mary to announce that she is to give birth to the Messiah. And we saw how she's puzzled. How is this going to happen? Gabriel tells her the Holy Spirit will come over you. I hope that you'll see the just the Trinitarian nature of this entire text. But the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then he tells her, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. 
And Mary's response, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's the, that's the impetus for, for Mary to leave in such a hurry. Uh, it's likely that this is, this is the first time she knows that Elizabeth's pregnant. We don't know that definitively, but we know that Elizabeth had kept it a secret for at least five months. It's now six months. The angel comes and announces this. So Mary has this excitement both with her news, the fact that she is now pregnant, but also that Elizabeth, her older, wiser cousin, uh, who she thought, everybody thought was barren, unable to have children, is now expecting. And so here she comes to both share her good news, and I expect to probably process a bit some of the shock that she was in uh, with her older, wiser cousin. And so she hurriedly gets up and she travels southward about 80 miles to the region of Judah. Now, it's worth taking a moment to consider some of the backstory of Elizabeth. And again, we read this this morning, but Elizabeth is married to Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest in the temple, and they're both described as righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no children. And we see added to that that, that Elizabeth was barren, um, but the, also that they were advanced in years in Luke one seven. Now, the term advanced in years is, is relative, right? What does that mean? If you said someone is advanced in years today, you might think of a certain number. I'm not going to say any number because I don't want any shoes or hymnals thrown at me. But I just want, don't, don't shoot the messenger, just what scholars say advanced in years at this period in history was 60 years old. So that, that's, that's just so you understand the difference. And the reason I point that out is, one, to show you the age difference, that there was probably uh, at least 50 years. She was in her 60s or 70s. Uh, Mary was young, probably still in her teens. And so there's quite an age gap here. But more significantly is that from a human understanding, Elizabeth is unable to have children. She's beyond her years to, to have children. And so we understand then why Zechariah, while he's serving in the temple and this angel comes and appears to him and says, don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard, that he is a little reluctant to believe. I do want to pause for a minute and mention, your prayer has been heard. What does that mean? Had Elizabeth and Zechariah been praying in their 60s or 70s that they would have a child? I kind of doubt it. I think the prayers that the angel is referring to were the prayers that they prayed when they first got married, in their 20s maybe, maybe their teens, into their 30s, maybe even into their 40s, where they longed to have a child and the Lord had not answered it. And now decades had gone on and the angel says, God's heard your prayers. He's going to respond now. So often when we pray, we want an immediate answer We want our answer, and we want it right away. And God is simply not on our timetable. The angel tells him, Elizabeth will bear you a son. You're going to call his name John. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. Something very important for us to see, because again, we see the Trinitarian work of our God through this whole episode. We're told that John is going to prepare the way for the Lord by turning the hearts of many to to the Lord their God. Well, Zechariah, again, has trouble believing it. They're advanced in years. This is humanly impossible. And so Gabriel says to him, Behold, you're going to be silent. You're not going to speak. And he's not going to be able to to talk now until John is born. 
So Zechariah, unable to speak, Elizabeth keeps her pregnancy hidden in verse 24. That's the context of this setting that we're now entering into, the visitation. Advanced in years, filled with fear and expectation, unable to communicate effectively, and experiencing all the normal uh, tolls and strains of pregnancy. This is where Elizabeth is when Mary comes and knocks on her door. And when Mary greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth hears it with her ears. Verse 41 says, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, six months into her pregnancy, movement would not have really been an unusual thing. This would have been something that she would have experienced up before this point. And yet, there are a number of indicators that show us that this was something unusual. And we've already been told from Gabriel's announcement to Zechariah that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And then in verse 41, the narrator tells us that Elizabeth too was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when we read in verse 44 that Elizabeth tells Mary the baby leaped for joy, we see that this was not just any random movement. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells Mary that her baby leaped for joy. He jumped for gladness. The Holy Spirit prompted John to respond to the voice of Mary and the Holy Spirit caused Elizabeth to know that the reason for his leaping was his joy. The point here is John is a person, a human, even in the womb of his mother, responding to the sound of this young woman, his cousin, who is the mother of his Savior. I think of all of the passages that make clear to us that life begins at conception and that abortion is killing, this one does so especially beautifully. It shows us that John was not just a clump of cells, but a person who exulted in the good news that was coming his way via the mother of his Lord. And after John leaps for joy, Elizabeth then, full of happiness, exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this that this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I think the first statement, these blessing statements, the first one probably has the most obstacles for us as American Christians, maybe depending on where you grew up. Some of you grew up Catholic, and so you know that this is a repeated phrase that indicates the worship of Mary. However, there's nothing in the text that points that this is any worship of Mary. Rather, this is an indication of a worship of God because of what He has done to Mary, that it is a blessing placed upon Mary by Yahweh. This young peasant girl has been blessed or favored to be the mother of Emmanuel. Now, the word blessed, a lot of times people will say that means happy. I think that's that's fair. It's understandable that our experience of blessing certainly makes us happy. But really, the idea of blessing and what is happening is, is the favor of God. So blessing and this blessing that's upon Mary is God's favor upon her, and the result of that blessing is then her experiencing of joy or happiness. I think that's a better way to understand it. And so the joy of the, the that's coming from the blessing is not from Mary, but really from Mary's God. And so it is the worship of Yahweh here that's being expressed. 
And Elizabeth celebrates the favor that has been showered upon her young cousin, that she should be the mother of the Savior of the world. Now, the second statement of blessing, I think, makes this even clearer. It pronounces favor on the fruit of her womb. This delight is on Mary, but it's also on the child in her womb. I would say even more so. Listen to what Martin Luther wrote. What Elizabeth sings of Christ has never been sung of anyone. All those born of women are children of wrath, which was swiftly decreed over us in paradise. Only this child alone is blessed, and there is nothing in him to punish, but only pure blessing and grace and mercy. She said this to glorify the one whom Mary carried. The Holy Spirit spoke to her heart and told her why this child had come, that he might redeem the human race. And we see this favor, this blessing continue on in the life and ministry of Jesus, right? The blessing of the Father upon the life of, of, of Jesus. We see it in the, in the baptism. We see it in the transfiguration, the pronouncement. Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. As Elizabeth's song goes on, we get to this bridge-like rhetorical question, why should the mother of my Lord visit me? She's asking a question because, in a sense, she's expressing her humility, that this isn't all about her. Uh, she had been, I mean, if you think about it, she, in, in the culture, she would be the one of honor. She was the older one. She had experienced her own miraculous conception. This was something to celebrate. And yet, in Elizabeth, we see no jealousy, no envy. She can throw aside all of the traditions and the norms of her culture and proclaim favor over her younger cousin. Because the Savior is coming and indeed has just now entered into her life, her attention is not on herself but is other-focused. And how pleasing this is to her Lord as she emulates the way in which he came in humility, considering others more important than herself. This is what Elizabeth here is doing And then lastly, she sings the refrain, pointing not to Mary, but to be, not not for her to be worshipped, but rather as one to be emulated for her faith, that she trusted God. She's singing that Mary knows God's favor by His grace through faith in that she believed what was spoken to her from the Lord. How many times have we seen in Scripture the uh, pronouncement of blessing for those who believe what was spoken? And a lot of times we think it might be easier if an angel came and spoke to us that we would believe, right? That would make it easier. If an angel just came and said it to us, that would make us believe. But I hold out to you example uh, number one, Zechariah, <laughs> who didn't believe. Uh, think of Sarah when we were in Genesis, who laughed when she heard the news. This isn't possible. I'm too old. That's what she thought. That's And so the visits of angels don't make us believe. We're called to believe God, to take Him at His word. And this is what Mary is being heralded for. It's the same thing we saw with Abraham, who believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness in Genesis 15. And so Mary's response then is, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She believed God, she took him in his word, even though what he had told her, the angel had told her, was impossible. From a human perspective, impossible. She was a virgin. How in in the world was she going to give birth to a child? And yet she believed. Now there's one more aspect of what, what is said here by Elizabeth that I want us to consider, and that is in verse 45, the word fulfillment. 
Mary believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And fulfillment is the right English word here for us. But I want us to know that word can be translated in other ways. There's a, there's a bigger meaning to it. There's a, there's, there's, there's more that we can understand than just the word fulfillment. This word is also translated as perfection. In Hebrews in particular, when it speaks of Jesus Christ, uh, fulfilling his uh, priestly role or carrying it on to perfection. That's the word that's used here. And my point is mentioning, in mentioning this is that Elizabeth is celebrating not only that Mary believed God would do what he said, but that he would do it perfectly. And I find that very convicting. Because if you ask me, Seth, do you believe God will accomplish all of his will? And I would say, yes, God's sovereign. I take great comfort in that. It's encouraging, but Seth, do you believe he'll do it perfectly? Ah, there's the rub. You see, it brings together both the goodness and the sovereignty of God. We've talked about this before. If God is sovereign and not good, he's a terror to us. And if he's good and not sovereign, then he's impotent and not able to accomplish what he wants. But God is both good and sovereign. In other words, he not only does things completely, he does things perfectly. Our God does all things well. And this is something for us that when we are going through suffering, when we're experiencing an injustice, when we're facing hardship in life, this is something that is very difficult to hold on to. And we have to go back again and again to who our God is. He is good. He does things not only completely because He's sovereign, but he does things perfectly because he's good. He does things well. We've seen this in our recent study in the life of Joseph, haven't we? Joseph trusted God, that God would would fulfill all that he had said to him. Joseph trusted God, and through his life, he saw God's faithfulness. A more modern example of that, though, is Corey ten Boom. Most of you probably heard of Corey ten Boom. She lived in the Netherlands, was the daughter of a watchmaker, in her young adult years, she was engaged, and her fiancé broke off that engagement to marry another woman, a woman of wealth, according to his parents' wishes. And you might understand the devastation that Corey Ten Boom experienced as a result of that broken engagement. But through this, she began to learn of the sovereignty of God, and she began to realize that the Lord had plans for her life, a plan that didn't include marriage. And so she used her life to serve the needs of others. She cared for children. She helped a number of people, but particularly children. And when Hitler came into power, her family began taking in Jews into their home to protect them and shelter them. And what this ultimately led to was that Corey was taken to a concentration camp along with her sister Betsy. They were taken to the Ravensbrück concentration camp, and we can only imagine... Uh, what they saw and suffered there. Years after being freed, even though Betsy died in the concentration camp, Corey learned that her release was a clerical error. We know about clerical errors, don't we, in the sovereignty of God. You see, every other female prisoner Corey's age after she was released was sent to the gas chambers. She ended up opening a rehabilitation home 
for those who had been in concentration camps in Holland. Uh, she, or she opened the home in Holland for those who had been in concentration camps, and she gave of her life this way. And the Lord then gave Corey a speaking ministry. She traveled to some 64 countries to share the gospel and the message of forgiveness. In one church that she traveled to in Munich, Germany, she faced what she called the most difficult thing in her life. I want to read her own words to you this morning. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that, that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. Afterward, I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in her home during the Nazi occupation in Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravenbrooks in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. 
I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. What Corey witnessed was God's love perfectly fulfilled in Jesus' death to forgive not only her sins, but the sins of this man who had mistreated her. And we may think that it's easy, as I've said before, for Mary to believe because an angel visited her. What we know about Zechariah and Sarah and others. But the call to faith in God's Word, to believe that He will perfectly fulfill what He said He would do, is what we are called to. And Corey Ten Boom here believed what God had said in His Word, both about her sins being forgiven, but also about her need to forgive. And as a result... She trusted God to perfectly fulfill all that He promises in His Word. She rejoiced in her Redeemer who had come to conquer the horrible sins of her own heart and the horrible sins of this former Nazi guard's heart. The light of Christ's forgiveness shined brighter as she believed what was spoken would be fulfilled. In this visit between Mary and Elizabeth, Katerina Regina von Greifenberg wrote, This joy in Jesus penetrates all obstacles, illuminates all darkness, enters through all locks, grants in the midst of prison the most pleasant freedom, makes visible within invisibility the gleam of its beams, and in the deepest obscurity does not conceal itself before those who love him. It makes even of unborn children an instrument for its music. And since the child as yet had no little mouth with which to speak, Thus must its entire body be the tongue that reveals the presence of joy in Jesus through its movement. That day, not only were Elizabeth and Mary rejoicing, but John joined in the song. Jesus would later say to Thomas after the resurrection, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That blessing, that pronouncement of favor is upon you today. Because you have believed and yet you have not seen. And so may we be a people then who walk in faith as those who before us believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken of the Lord. May we be confident that God is going to do what He said to do. He's not only going to do it completely, He's going to do it perfectly. And we can trust Him. The Savior has come. The Redeemer has arrived according to the promise given so long ago. Emmanuel is here. And so it's fitting that we'll sing all creation, join in praising God the Father, Spirit, Son. Evermore your voices raising to the eternal three in one. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we consider your coming today, as we consider that you do what you say you will do, as we consider Mary's commitment to hear Your Word and believe that it would be fulfilled and fulfilled perfectly, 
Lord, would you cause our hearts to do the same? Lord, as we hear your word, may we believe it. May we believe it with our whole heart. Give us hope. Encourage us in our walk. Help us to see the light of Christ, the light of the forgiveness that we know in him, and the light of the forgiveness that others may know, that we might share of the joy that we have, that we might speak of this hope, give a reason for this hope that is within us, that you might draw others to yourself. Lord, use us this season to be your lights in this dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.